everyone. Thank you for joining me for another episode of The Doctor Is In. Today is part two of self-care. I'm going to follow up and go a little bit deeper into some of the uh, elements of self-care that I developed in part one a few weeks ago and really looking forward to exploring this more with you. Again, this is not about what to do for self-care, but about how you can know what might help you. I'm also giving examples of what I do for illustration only, but of course, there's no expectation to do what I'm doing even remotely. So, But I'm going to explore a little bit about you know how I know what I do and, and why I know it works for me. And so another reminder is that self-care is something for everyone, not just the ladies. So guys, you may have gotten the wrong impression from descriptions about self-care and who tends to write about the topic, i.e. women. Uh, that is, it is a female thing to do is not. So please listen on. There is something here for everyone. So the three basic elements of self-care that I've outlined are one, self-awareness, which is knowing what to do. Two, discipline, which is the implementation of and how to do it. And three, inputs. These are the what to do. Uh, and I've divided into internal, such as the things we do alone or generate internally, and external the things that we do with others. And these are interrelated concepts, and the development of these is not a linear process. Growth in each of these areas are synergistic and complementary to the other two. They're not developed independently, so work on one will both require and enhance work on the others. And so when I'm developing stronger discipline in my life, then my self-awareness grows, which in turn fine-tunes and nurtures the sorts of inputs I'm gathering, which then defines my discipline shaped by boundaries. Uh, here's an illustration of how that works. I'm an ultra runner, and I and others can tell you that the discipline of sport, especially endurance sports that require a lot of consistent, almost daily training, teaches you to know your body and listen to it. I know when I'm not eating enough, sleeping enough, or when I'm going to have a great workout and when I'm not. I can tell the difference between a niggle in my knee, which I can run through, and when I need to stop and take a break to nurse a potentially worsening injury. I don't always listen to my body, but it works better when I do. Sometimes I don't feel like going out for a run, but I almost always do this because mentally I need it. I need to get running, and I need to work things out of my head in a physical way. But that is also a function of the way I'm wired. You know, side note, I'm an 8 on the Enneagram, so this fits with my personality. And some people are like that, and others are not. It's just another reason to get to know yourself. So in the same way, establishing the discipline of training your mind and or body in other ways helps you to know yourself. Just like starting a new habit of running or another form of exercise, starting a new habit of morning meditation or reading the Bible, or listening to a mindfulness app can be hard. And sometimes you're just going through the notion motions because your body hasn't yet adjusted to the new wake-up time. And that's okay. Don't worry about not being fully present on day numero uno. Give yourself a break. You're starting something new. Just keep showing up. But... If it isn't happening, say after a while, then perhaps try out a different time of day or try a different app or a new activity altogether. 
And even when you are in the habit, it's not like you're going to have a epiphany every day. Some days you still are just going through the motions. But notice yourself if you go into a habit or when you know that there's a period of time when you're just doing the motions every day. And self-awareness will help you identify when you're headed in this direction and a signal that perhaps you need to do something to freshen up a bit. You know, that's the power of habit. You know, it's cliche, there is power in habit, but it's true. We're habitual beings. We are beings that are created and formed and molded and developed in rhythm. It only makes sense that we pay attention to the rhythms that shape our lives, both intentionally and environmentally. You know, I've noticed that I'm sensitive to the seasons. I tend to be slower and grow a bit tired as the days shorten and the nights grow longer. I've noticed that my productivity and motivation sharply decreases. Even in Thailand, when the changes in daylight and seasons are not so drastic, I still had the same feelings. Perhaps there's something protoplasmic in our human makeup that causes us to slow down this time of year. Well, at least in the Northern Hemisphere. Or perhaps it's just me. It doesn't matter. I'm paying attention to the rhythms of my life and body. Over the last several years, I've taken time off to rest during the holidays of Christmas and New Year. I'm not actively traveling. I might stay with friends for a few days for a change of scenery. But during this time, I simply block out the um, time and space for nothingness and give myself permission to be unproductive instead of trying to push against nature to continue to work and be productive. And I've described yearly as well as daily practices. We can also consider weekly or monthly practices. I've been mostly consistent with taking a Sabbath, Sabbath uh, which is called a day of rest in the Christian tradition, since I was in residency. Because residency was so busy, this didn't always happen every week. But when I had a day off, I took the day off. Because I'm so driven, it's easy for me to drive myself every single day. But keeping a Sabbath as part of my routine allows me to give permission to myself to relax. And besides, and here's yet another reference to running, of course, a rest day is also a training day. If we don't rest, our bodies don't have time to adapt and repair and be ready for another week of training. And so we need rest to rejuvenate our minds and our psyches. So living a disciplined life helps me form new habits or discipline. I keep a regular rhythm to my daily and weekly life that helps me keep my promises to myself and to others. It creates margin in my work-life balance so that I have room to breathe, but I also have something to give when I need to push a little harder sometimes, because life. So Mother Teresa has a rule of life, and I read this in her book, Come Be My Light, and she says uh, for herself and for uh, the sisters in her order, she says that the sisters shall spend one day in every week, one week in every month, one month in every year, and one year in every six years in the mother house, where in contemplation and penance together with solitude, she can gather in the spiritual strength which she might have used up in the service of the poor. Well, that's pretty remarkable. I'm certainly not uh, going by that, although sometimes I think that's a good idea. Maybe I should consider that. So, but in the same vein, I think it's important not to get hung up on what is the right thing to do rather than creating the space in which to try. You may not find the thing that works for you right away. 
This is how the discipline informs the self-awareness, and as the self-awareness deepens and the practices become more meaningful, which helps to enforce the discipline of keeping your commitment. I mean, discipline begets discipline, and when you like the things that you're doing, you're more likely to continue to do those things. People tell me they don't like running and could never do that, but that doesn't excuse them from finding the thing that they do like and will do consistently. It can be hard to create this space, but I think sometimes it can be even harder to remain in the space that we have created. So now I'm going to bring the input element into this trinity. Again, inputs are those activities that we do in doing the work, and I've divided them into internal and external. Practices such as journaling and meditation are internal inputs. Examples of external inputs are meeting with a friend, a spiritual director, or groups organized around a hobby or interest or sport. Humans are social beings, and no matter what kind of person you are, we all need a combination of both. So how do these inputs shape our discipline and self-awareness with a focus on the external inputs from other people? And especially now, in these times, We need to be proactive in establishing a network of relationships that fill different needs, that scratch different itches. Self-awareness will aid you in determining which ones to pursue and which ones perhaps you need to let go. Generally speaking, we have about four types of relationships from which you can get some external input. These people may or may not be friends, and the amount of time you spend with them may vary quite a bit. But having input from a variety of sources helps round out your exposures provides variety and complementarity to your circles, and you'll also notice that there's quite a bit of overlap between them. The first group is personal. So these are the friends with whom you can relax, laugh, hang out, discuss life. This group includes very dear friends with whom you can share anything and others that aren't so close but remain safe acquaintances. Uh, The second group is spiritual and or psychological. Now, these relationships connect on the plane of emotional, psychological, and or spiritual matters. I include people such as counselors, spiritual directors, pastoral care, etc. This kind of relationship also tends to be one-way rather than mutual. That is, you are on the receiving end. This can be very helpful to have someone who will listen and accept you without expecting the same in return. They have others with whom they can trust to share their burdens. The third group is professional, and these are groups of people with whom we share professional identity, so identity. Doctors get doctors, lawyers get lawyers, law enforcement get law enforcement people, and so on and so forth. These groups provide camaraderie and a foundation of mutual understanding. We can talk shop, trade ideas, learn from each other, and relate to the challenges unique to our profession. And so lastly is community. And this is, encompasses all the other uh, groups of people, like running clubs, mom's groups, uh, hobby clubs, and a variety of other things. And these, of course, are a little bit simplify, simplified, and naturally a lot of crossover exists between them, but you get the point. I love meeting with others in a running group or other sport group. Most of the time, we just geek out about running, training, famous personalities, upcoming races, etc., and Sometimes we don't even talk about ourselves very much. We just keep it light and fun. And in developing discipline, it can help to commit to doing something together. 
knowing that someone is going to meet you outside at 6 a.m. three times a week to run or walk or pray or whatever, that can be a help. You may not be able to meet for very long or very often because life, uh, but a few times may be enough to get you started in a new direction or in a new practice. Meeting with others can help give perspective. It helps me realize that I'm not crazy or perhaps I am a bit nutty, but people accept my nuttiness, which is great. The key message is that I'm not alone. I'm accepted and not rejected. We share burdens and someone cares if you follow through or not. And that alone can help us keep going on. But I'm not talking about accountability. I don't really like that word and it often doesn't work very well because in the way that it is often employed, it is totally gameable. What I'm talking about is meeting with people with whom you can honestly share and will listen without judgment and withhold advice unless asked. These people will help share your burdens and walk with you. They really do care how you are doing and want to keep you safe, but will stay and walk with you through your struggles and failures as well as help you deal with the consequences. They won't abandon you because you screwed up. Besides, self-care really isn't about keeping ourselves out of trouble. It's easy to conflate it because when we are not in a good space, we tend to do things that aren't good for us. But the point is not to oversimplify the work of self-care into doing good things and avoiding bad things. You're familiar with the phrase, iron sharpens iron. It's another cliche, but I like the mental picture it paints. When you want to sharpen iron, you have to use something very strong and use force, and the friction can create heat. Sometimes relationships are like that, and sometimes relationships need to be like that. We need that friction, we need that force, and sometimes we need little sparks. As an, ex- as an extreme introvert, sometimes I wish I didn't need others, honestly. It's a lot of work, and sometimes others can let you down, and then there's hurt, and I'd rather... Just be left alone. Thank you very much. But then after a while, I can't help but miss people and I want to be around them, engage deeply with others, or not so deeply as it happens sometimes. But I've been reminded about how far I've come and how much I've grown over the years. This can be a great encouragement to me to keep doing the work. Now, doing the work doesn't have to feel like work even if it can be a bit challenging to start something new sometimes or keep going sometimes, just play around with it. Enjoy others. Enjoy new things. And most importantly, enjoy yourself. The world is out there for you to discover it with your whole self. As I wrap up, I want to encourage you to consider these three elements. How are you developing self-awareness? How is self-awareness feeding your discipline? And what interesting practices are you discovering? Examine the quality of relationships, and are you finding others to be the iron to sharpen your life? Let me know how you're getting on and if you have any questions. I'd love to hear from you. Thanks for listening. Please subscribe and follow. Until next time, be well. Be well.